Welcome to Tools for Liberty, a program designed to intrigue you, to stir your nerves, and to offer your mind critical thinking and adventure. I'm J. Dylan Proctor. I'm Amanda Sparrow. And I'm Anthony Allegria. All right, so for some of the content that we're going to be talking about today, we're going to do um, talk about a couple new discoveries that have happened around the world, uh, then talk about marriage kind of as our main topic, and then we have some updates about things we've talked in the past and how they're progressing since last we talked about them. All right, so just to get on with the updates, one of the last topics that we talked about in our recent episodes was the whole deal with the head transplants. It's a really bizarre thing. Um, they were doing this with people now, and of course there's all these rumors admit that they were doing it with people in the past. And But what we know that they were doing successfully in the past is they would take heads of dogs and surgically attach onto the neck of other dogs, and these dogs would live. Well, we do have an update on this because there actually is a point in doing all this. When we had talked about that, we'd been asking, what is the point in surgically attaching heads of dogs? Have science gone too far? Well, actually, no, it hasn't because the whole goal of this was so that artificial intelligence would be able to come to a better place. In the past, when we talked about Kubo, the robotic pet, which is neither a robotic dog or cat, it just has sort of a pillow-shaped thing. It looks like a, a Roomba was eaten by a, a pillow, but it has a tail that wags. Well, you can now have a head and front legs for your robotic pet. You can take your old poochie pet from the 1990s and have it surgically attached to your Kubo, and that is the whole purpose of all this. We were a bit naive for thinking that head transplants were, were going a bit too far. Actually, there was a whole rhyme and reason all along. The new artificial intelligence, it can be the ultimate being. So in case you were looking for a nightmare pet of two dogs, you can now have the nightmare <laughs> artificial intelligence pet. Yes. Yeah, all the fun with none of the work. Yes, all the fun with none <laughs> of the work. You don't have to worry about it, it tearing up your, your furniture, but instead it will, will tear up um, you and your family as it goes <laughs> to take over the world. Okay, so moving on to another update. In the past, we discussed the story where Coyote Has a Bad Day was the name of it. There's a coyote, it got hit by a lady who was driving, and she drove for a good while with the, the coyote stuck in the front of her car. Well, it turns out that on Thanksgiving we had the same thing happen, but this time with a bobcat. So going back to coyote has a bad day, we now have bobcat has a bad day. And this is just sort of interesting in and of itself. How do you drive 50 miles with, uh, with a cat in your grill and not stop? Yeah, that's what I think, like, you've got to, the driver had to have seen, like, debris or something, like, fly out the back or something as after they hit this creature. Um, and then also, this poor bobcat had an even worse day than the coyote, because I think the coyote was only driven, like, 20 or 30 miles, and this bobcat got, like, 50. He was in that thing for almost an hour. Yeah, he was Worst in Worst Uber ride ever. Yeah, for <laughs> Bad real. Bad review for you. <laughs> Bad review for you all the way around. You know, that's it's interesting, in our, our modern world, we see a lot of, like, supervillains who are just people who go out and write bad reviews. This this bobcat is certainly going to be writing bad reviews. I wonder if it tipped the driver, though. <laughs> um, looking at looking how unhappy it is. It's like it's in prison. He's he's just waiting to get out of out of prison. But anyways, the good news is the, the cat was rescued, the, the Felis Rufus bobcat. He was got out by the Richmond Animal Care and Control. He was released, and it seems that the, the bobcat is fine, so no no animals have been harmed in the making of this episode so far. It was only robotic dogs and robotic pillow pets that were surgically attached, and the bobcat has come out fine. We're well, moving on to a, a few more serious pieces of news. Right. So we have a couple of discoveries. Um, so one of which was there was a shipwreck um, found off of the coast of Alexandria, and in that shipwreck they found a crystal skull. And no, not the one that was mentioned in Indiana Jones, who 
no no aliens um in this episode either uh but it was kind of discovered it's kind of creepy looking um it is and that's what like i just can't imagine being the diver who found that and like has this white face kind of looking back at them I, i would be very terrified uh which is probably one of the many reasons i would never do that job but anyways so um but it's interesting it's it had was from uh obviously ancient rome um so it kind of just was sitting in the bottom of the sea for if, all this time. If I'm not mistaken, it's from the, the time of Caesar Augustus. Um, yes. And it's it's really interesting because there's all these myths about crystal skulls and things in the, around the world. There's all these, these legends that they're coming out of Central and South America and all these stories where they're being debunked that the, the crystal skull isn't real. But this one actually is real. This one's real, not from the parts of the world we may expect. It's from ancient Rome. It's not necessarily as theatrical as we look. It actually just looks like it, it come off of a, a larger sculpture. But nonetheless, it is pretty cool. It's pretty cool that there's a, a real crystal skull out there for us to, to think about. Hopefully, if they make an Indiana Jones movie about it, it will be better than than some of the, the one they tried one. to pull off. Yeah. Yes. Um, this story in and of itself is better than that last one. <laughs> uh, it's not, not a high bar to try to, try to um, go over, but... And then also speaking about myths and legends, the second discovery we're going to talk about is an underwater castle found in a lake in Turkey. Um, apparently, people had known about this kind of in the idea it was a myth that there was this castle and everyone was like, no, it's not it's not really there. And then when someone actually went and, and did some discovering and, and looking around, they found it. Yeah, this is one of those things where the, the local legends was that this this castle was there and it's about 3000 years old it's from the and if i try to pronounce the name of the civilization i'm going to to completely um wreck it it's the ubartu uratu ubartu um <laughs> really hard to pronounce place but anyways the local legend was that there was a castle in the in lake van the largest lake there in the region and the archaeologists who were over the region they said oh there's nothing there not really any reason to go and investigate this and they completely dismissed this this legend which has been a pretty well-known legend for a pretty good while and then just some other people who were divers they they were said well we're going to go over and we're going to investigate it and lo and behold the legend actually turned out to be true there was a sunken castle there and the walls are a pretty good they're very visible they, there's some pictures you can see there um there the walls are, are quite thick i think they're in the range of, of roughly 13 feet or something like that so it's a pretty good sized castle mm-hmm. um and there's the whole radius of it is about in the range of a, a, kamal, a kilometer in size. So it's a, a fairly large uh, archaeological site, but it's pretty cool that we found this. But it takes us to the question of the world is more complicated than we realize it is. We don't need to be so quick to dismiss legends. Uh, a lot of times we want to throw out stuff that we can debunk as just being, you know, urban legends, pop culture myths, and a lot of times they are garbage. But before we decide they're garbage, let's at least put a little bit of investigative work into this um, because there may be a castle just below the, the water line just waiting to be discovered. Exactly. Well, on that note, we will be back in a little bit. We're going to talk about relationships and marriage. And on that note, we will see you then.
All right, so now moving into our serious topic, we need to talk a little bit about marriage and relationships and everything that we have going on in our current culture because we've seen a lot of scandals come out involving people in media, people in, who are politicians, people in Hollywood. There's been this, this really breakdown of, of how we understand human behavior as a, a just overall in our culture. It's been, it's been really bad. But if we look at this problem, and even if we look at the, the questions that are going on with the, our current world, the, the questions of how does the church relate to like same-sex marriage and all this stuff, we have this big question of really what is marriage? Our, our culture overwhelmingly has tried to, to say we're going to rip up all the moral structures and all the moral traditions that have been given to us. We're going to throw them out the window. But the mistake we've made is we don't realize all the things connected to it. It's like the archaeologists who say, well, we're not going to go investigate that, that lake because there's no possible way there's a 3,000-year-old a castle at the bottom of it. Well, sometimes there's a 3,000-year-old castle we don't know about. Marriage is a much larger concept than we realize. And just as, as clergy coming to talk about this, we need to say, everybody hang on before we just say we're going to disconnect all the, the things in reality, before we throw out all the moral structures. We need to start figuring some things out. Right. So one of the issues when we talk about marriage is often we kind of oversimplify why people get married. And we can look at our history and say, well, people just got married for procreation uh, reasons. And then today we could even oversimplify why people get married today and say that, well, it's just to fulfill kind of an emotional need or an emotional void. And the problem with oversimplifying is sometimes when we say, well, if this is the end, when the ends are no longer necessary, then we no longer need the means. We no longer need marriage. Um, and we have to be careful with that kind of line of thought because marriage is so complex and the reason for people getting married, um, and we can try to kind of narrow it down to a one sentence or two sentence definition of why people get married, but if we kind of over reduce it, then it's hard to really apply it and understand it and move through it. And so we have to be careful in our conversation and as also we're moving through relationships, moving through marriage, that if we oversimplify it, then we can kind of almost give ourselves an escape hatch because you know, especially in today, if, if we're only getting married for emotional reason, once that emotional response is done, once that kind of emotional satisfaction is over, then we can say, okay, I've no longer had it, I uh, no longer need marriage, and so I can get out for no other reason than I just don't feel like it anymore. And so we have to be careful. Um, and as we continue this conversation about marriage, really, it is very complex. It's difficult. That's not to scare anybody away from marriage, but just to realize what you're getting yourself into. And it is really complex, and it's changed a lot over the years. As, as Amanda already referenced, you know, in the past, we've, we've made things like, well, people got married for procreation purposes. But the problem with when you reduce it down to that is, is we may not understand everything that comes with that. Marriage is also something which helps guard against predation. Obviously, men can be sex predators for a lot of violent reasons. But again, not all men do that. Marriage is something which says we're taking the act of sex and we're putting it within a, a, a holy and sacred covenant. And we're saying this is this is where this happens. We're strong objective standards around that. But also it, it protects from predation in a lot of other ways. It's something where there's a lot more things that go along with it than we realize. And as our culture has tried to pick up these concepts and, and they say we don't want all the, the baggage that comes with, with the Judeo-Christian value system, we're going to throw it out. Well, we lost a lot of the tools and the, the, the wider implications that come with some of the virtues we tried to pick and choose. This is why it is so dangerous to do that. And to, to Amanda's point about how a lot of times now people, they look for some sort of emotional familiarity in the reason why they get marriage. We, we can't deny the fact that historically the role of marriage has shifted and we don't know all the ways that it shifted. 
my predecessor at the, the church where I currently pastor, uh, she often preached sermons which would say something along the lines of, in the past, we loved the ones we marry, now we marry the ones we love. And just to restate that, because it's a little bit of a, a twister there, in the past, we loved the ones we marry, but in the present, we marry the ones we love. This is obviously a very real variable in the way that we, we look at this. The, the circumstances under which people got married in the past has been really different. And we don't really entirely know the reasons why. The whole social structure of humanity has changed quite a bit. And we really need to, to get back to the idea of, of understanding what marriage is. Because marriage is not just this arbitrary thing that came out of nowhere. But it's actually modeled a bit after the, the structure and relationship that God has with humanity. Uh, a good view that I read about this week was from a theologian who said that marriage is, the reason why it is, is because it's for the unification of two flesh to more strongly reveal God's identity. So we see, um, and we can look into scripture in some different places where it talks about God creating them and the image of God, he created them. And it's this idea that we see that God is community. This is very Trinitarian language. Um, that, and then God, when he, when God created humanity, they were created to be a community. And so we find the image of God not just in just one individual, but in people coming together. And that's not to say that the individual is not important, or that somehow the individual is less than, but to say we we see if love is meant to be other oriented, there has to be an other to love. And so marriage becomes this great example of covenant committed relationship. That these two separate beings become one because they are committed to respect and to love one another. And as Dylan said, kind of the, the cultural emphasis on some of those words and those meanings and definitions have changed drastically throughout the um, ages. And we're still trying to parse all that out and understand what does love mean? What does commitment mean? What does respect mean? All those kinds of things. But again, we have to realize this is a very complex issue and there are people that are coming to it as very complex entities. And so it's not just emotional. It's not just uh, physical. It's not just social. But yet all these things do take place within a marriage. And so we have to also look at what is what are what is the image? What are we mirroring? It is the image of a selfless, other-oriented God who is always giving and loving and sharing in life with the other. And you used the language a, a little bit ago about this covenant-committed relationship. And I think our culture has largely wanted to throw out the covenant section of that, this idea that you're with someone for better or worse. And they've they've lost the, the entire hierarchy that, that even things like sex should be put within the, the confines of this covenant. And as we look at, at our our pop culture that has tried to really throw out a lot of the, the architecture behind marriage, they've they found that now there's this huge void. We find that there are people who are who are praying. There are, are men in power who are praying. There are, are people who are being manipulative. Again, the, the predatory patterns of men are very different from the predatory patterns of women. Um, the way that these things just fragment is, is different. But what we see happening now is in places like California, they come up with all these rules about consent. They give people like checklists. But what's happening is they tried to throw away the structure without realizing how important the structure was. And now they're sort of trying to reverse engineer it. And it's sort of like earlier this week, we were talking about how we've got all these modern tribal religions. Well, now we have all these modern tribal religion architectures for morality that are just incoherent, eating themselves alive. And 
we still haven't got to the to the roots of of having something healthy to move forwards. But how we do that is we we return back to where these structures came from. Instead of saying we don't want anything to do with the 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 structure connected with God, we don't want anything to do with the covenantal language. Let's get back to that. Let's go back and examine why marriage was enshrined in this idea of a covenant. What is it about the holy nature of God, which is so sacred, that that is the model used for marriage? Why is that the model for marriage? Let's let's get back to this mentality instead of trying to to create a whole lot of small incoherent rules that are ultimately only going to be tools for chaos instead of getting back to something more meaningful. I'm going to pick up on something you said about for better or for worse. Um, There's definitely, I think you should marry someone that you enjoy being with, that you want to spend time with, that you want to live with and share a small space with. Um, But at the same time, there's going to come parts in your marriage where you're going to hate living with with that person, that they're going to aggravate you, that, you know, they're going to do something really small and menial, and you're just going to want to, like, I don't know, (laughs) throw a fit. And that's going to happen. But we don't abandon the marriage. We don't kind of just flake out because it's hard or it's difficult or they're just so infuriating that day. At the same time, when we say for better or worse, we're not saying that when someone is being abusive or manipulative or being harmful, that's the spouse, that the other spouse should remain in that marriage. There are times in which things like divorce, separation are very appropriate. And if anyone is in a relationship that is abusive, that's harmful, they have every right and need to get out of that relationship so that they can be a healthy individual. And if, you know, children or other people are involved, so those people can remain safe and healthy. So those are kind of two things we got to keep in mind. I feel like often in our culture, we've created this um, dichotomy where you have to either be A or B. And again, marriage is complex. Relationships are complex. Sometimes you need to stay even when you don't want to, and sometimes you need to get out even when it's difficult. And that can only happen, I think, if we have a good foundation. And that foundation starts with the idea of of love and compassion, but also respect and being a blessing, giving life-giving. And there are some relationships that aren't life-giving. They're they're life-taking. And at those times, especially as the church, we need to stand up and say, this is not appropriate. Absolutely. Um, by no stretch of the imagination are we saying that, that people should be in abusive relationships. But building off that a little bit, people do need to have some sort of negotiated common goal. One of the greatest predictors of people having good marriages is that they both understand what they're they're getting into. And especially if we talk about how how the role of marriage is something which is a bit more nuanced than we realize, and the 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 model of marriage is something which has been sort of cast to the side. If we get back to this, people need to negotiate out why they're together in their, their relationship, why they're coming together for marriage. Because if one person is just in it for for you know insert reason here, whether it be something as, as basic as just I'm here for the utility of you giving me resources and the other person is in it because they're looking for some long-term fulfillment, you know, those two things are going to fragment and fracture and break apart really quickly. People need to have a negotiated common goal, and that's a good thing that's a predictor. Yes, and I think to build off that... Um a phrase I heard actually in relationship of how denominations and various churches work together is learning to fight well. And that doesn't yeah. mean learning how to throw the best punch or learning to manipulate somebody so you always win an argument. It means learning how to negotiate, how to interact with someone, whether it's another individual, another organization, another whatever, is learning how to communicate to one another in such a way that you can reach a, a healthy goal together, that there there's something that is happening where you're not going to just kind of be like my way or the highway 
or just being a floor mat, but really working together as a unit to produce something that is quite helpful and beneficial. Yep. And on that note, we're going to wrap all this up and we'll be back here in a moment. Alright, so wrapping up the program today, remember that the world is a lot more complicated than we are aware of it. There's a healthy amount of doubt to have, there's a healthy amount of humility to have, but don't let humility be a thorn that stops you from going out and, and operating. Be inspired to go out and conquer the, the world of information that's out there. Always be receiving information and figuring out what to do with it. Because as, as the church, as people, if we're going to, to bring health back to our culture, we have to be people who overcome the 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 difficulties in our world, we have to be able to critically think about the situations around us. And when myths and things like that of a castle being underwater, as ridiculous as it may sound, I know we've all heard stories of Atlantis, we may want to just toss them out, but do a little bit of investigating before you just toss something out. This is the, the year 2017, we can go out and we can sort out a lot of stuff, because you never know when there's just going to be a, a castle right below the surface of some water. I think that's like the truly amazing thing of the story is not just that they found a castle in a lake, but that they knew about it and what I mean and it just doesn't look like it was that hard to really discover to figure out if it which was true or not and and they probably missed out on some years of discovery and some really amazing archaeological finds that could have been done so much earlier if they had just went out and investigated and tried to figure things out oh for sure for sure and marriage itself is a lot more complicated than we realize when we try to pick and choose the virtues and say, well, we don't like the traditional moral structures that the Judeo-Christian value system has given us, we want to pick and choose things, that only works for so long, and then we find ourselves in a culture where we're at now, where we have all of these scandals coming out because marriage is a lot bigger than we realized it was. So we need to, to really appreciate that which has been given to us. Again, it's modeled after the, the holy relationship God has with, with those people he's in covenant with, and it's it's modeled after the nature of God and this is something which we don't need to just throw away so quickly. So we need to understand these complexities, work through them, and work through them within community and fellowship with one another, and to learn how to spur one another to love and to respect each other. And moving on to, to the next thing we've got. Um, so earlier we talked about the, the robotic dog. And just to sort of end on a little bit happier note than some of the other topics, you can be thankful that there is no one coming to do head transplants anywhere around you anytime soon, or at least we assume. History could prove us wrong. I guess I'm not going to claim to be omnipresent or omniscient in any terms of understanding history, but be thankful that artificial intelligence hasn't come to the point that it's replacing your plets, because once the, the pets start being surgically attached to one another and artificial intelligence come there, it won't be long before they start coming after you, and you may find yourself turn into artificial intelligence <laughs> and and least, every horror sci-fi movie will come true because yes. the Roomba pillow will come and eat you <laughs> yes the the Roomba will now have a dog attached to the top of it and it will be disguised as a pillow and it will be your worst nightmare that you could ever have the the Ruminator the, the Ruminator, ruminator. <laughs> exactly yeah the, you do not want the Ruminator to come 
But anyways, since Anthony has piped up, Anthony, give us a, a cheap platitude to wrap up the day with. One often reaches the destination they seek to avoid by the path they chose to avoid it. And that see, that's the the whole appointment with death thing. And we try to avoid surgically attaching a robotic <laughs> dog to a Roomba. And we may end up there anyway. You never know. You never know. Well, anyways, if you like this video, if you enjoyed our content, please subscribe to our, our YouTube channel. You can find us on YouTube at Kingdom of the Logos. We can really... Uh, we, we really enjoy the, the boost we get from, from people subscribing. But again, you can also listen to the podcast on SoundCloud or on iTunes. We're on a few other podcasting servers. Um, of course, you can follow us on Facebook. You can follow me on Twitter at J. Dylan Proctor. But on that, have a blessed day.